you were fortunate enough to increase your income over 10x in the span of 18 months. What was that like? It was amazing. I mean, I, again, I was making 20 grand when I got into the business. And so I had already bought a house, but I was I had bounced my mortgage payments. And within 18 months, as you mentioned, that 10x of my income, all of a sudden I'm making $200,000 a year. And I'd never made that kind of money before. So it gave me freedom. It gave me confidence. It really just changed my inner being. The following is a conversation with Brandon Barnum. Brendan, AKA the King of Referrals, is an award-winning serial entrepreneur, coach, consultant, speaker, trainer, and workshop leader. He's also the CEO of HOA.com, the number one referral network for home service professionals, and the chairman of the Board of the Champions Institute. Brandon is also a highly sought after expert in referrals, marketing, sales, joint ventures, business development, and business growth strategies. Here's our conversation. Brandon, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you having me. Awesome. Well, appreciate a guest like you coming on and have a lot of really awesome questions to get into about your story and a lot of things that you're up to. Uh, but just to give people a bit of background, you're known as the king of referrals, a serial entrepreneur, a speaker, among a bunch of other things. But just to backtrack it a bit, back in 1977, you were a single dad trying to grow your career, trying to get along. And you had a really bright idea and probably an innovator and looking ahead at the time where you had the idea to list real estate listings online. So as a kind of a maverick ahead of your time, as we know now, there's Zillow and a bunch of these other platforms. Way back when, how did you get the idea to feature real estate listings online? Well, I was fairly fresh out of business school. It was 97. Um, mm -hmm. So... Not quite as old, but uh, what happened was I got into the mortgage business. I was a single dad. I was only making 20 grand a year before I got into the mortgage business. And when I started in the mortgage world, I had had a professor back in college said, you got to look at the world with new eyes and look at what's coming and help create it to be. And so what I realized was that half of the real estate, the national real estate brands at that point didn't have a website at all. And the half that did, if they had listings, they had one exterior photo of a property. And I just said, this is silly. We want to be able to sit back in our underwear at home on a couch and surf online and, and explore homes. And so we basically built a, an early version of Zillow back in 1997. Got it. Did you ever get any slack at the time? Because I know a lot of times when you do something that's really new and innovative, people call you an idiot until it happens to work. Then you're known as a genius. But <laughs> Did you ever get any crap from people telling you this is never going to work? This is a dumb idea or anything like that? No, I think the only thing at the time, there was a, a technical limitation, which is there was no Wi-Fi, right? And there really wasn't even wired. There was internet dial-up. And so you, it sounded like your car was, or your computer was crashing when you would log in. And so the download speeds were slow. And so that was the one thing it took a while for, for the pages to load. But the cool thing is I was living in Portland, Oregon, which was known as the Silicon Forest. So instead of Silicon Valley, they called it the Silicon Forest. A lot of tech up there. And so I would attract people from Intel or Tektronix as clients of mine for my mortgage company because they were on the web. And so I wouldn't say there were any haters or detractors, but mm -hmm. there's definitely some pain points that we learned as being early adopters. 
Got it. Yeah, for sure. When you're early on, you know, it's you give and take whatever situation you have. And especially when you're just starting out and you're the first adopter, you're the one that goes through all the mistakes. I mean, there's a price to pay to being first to market, but uh, it is what it is. So interesting note on there. On a bit of a side note, living in Portland, Oregon, did you ever run into Phil Knight or, you know, never saw him around? I saw him driving once. Really? Interesting. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Actor NSX at the time. Yeah, so for those that don't know, Phil Knight is the, the founder of Nike and uh, had a lot of activity in Oregon. So was interested if you guys uh, ever ran into each other, but to see him driving, I'm sure it was a cool experience, you know, just seeing him uh, passing by. So awesome that I got a chance to do that. But uh, another thing that I mentioned earlier was that you're the king of referrals. And one of the things that you talk about in a lot of your work that I think is really interesting is that you describe the referral business as an art and a science. Why do you think that is? Well, there's an art and a science to it. Like there's the science is the step-by-step -step process that you can follow. And if you, it's like cooking, right? Baking a cake. If you follow the recipe and you put the right ingredients in, you're going to get the de desired results. And it's pretty predictable. Most people just don't do it. But there's also some art in building relationship and really connecting to people. So not everybody is skilled at relationships and connections or networking. So that's one of the things that we focus on teaching and empowering people to be better at. Got it. So do you think kind of teaching people how to connect with others and managing relationships, do you think that's more of an art? The training itself? That's a good question. I, I think it's both. I, I'm a data guy, right? So cool. I've been doing tech. I was in the mortgage business for a dozen years. So for me, I always want the data to drive the decisions. So I think where the artistry comes in is really listening. The, one of the biggest challenges that people have when it comes to building partnerships or even just serving people is that they talk twice as much as they listen. They should be listening twice as much as they're talking. And so the art comes from the creative process when you're in a conversation and a dialogue. It's learning to follow while also learning to lead. That's the artist artistry of it. Got it. You know, what's really interesting about that point is I think a lot of people are always really drawn to the science and knowing things step by step when a lot of times you have to, you know, I call it your art intuition, really uh, kind of go with your gut and seek how to just kind of improve every single time. And the reason that I'm having a trouble articulating here is it's a lot of times it's hard to give people instructions about how to improve in a so-called art of business. A lot of it just comes from, you know, that feeling or that intuition. So that's the most tangible thing you can tell someone. And I think a lot of times people will really gear towards trying to figure out, you know, the science of how can I manage this person better, that person better. I think really it's a feeling and knowing you're not going to be perfect in the beginning and just trying to get a little bit better every time. So that's the most no, tangible. I, I think that's true. And also like we, we have people score themselves on the referral score quiz and you can go to referralscorequiz.com and kind of self-assess how you score from one to 10 and 10 best practices when it relates to referral. And some of that is just the knowledge and awareness. Like I mentioned Intel earlier, I had this client that had done three mortgages with me and he mm -hmm. calls me up one day and he says, Hey, Brandon, I just want to check in with you and see how it's going with, you know, Mike Jones. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Good to hear from you. Mike's awesome. We just closed our transaction three weeks ago. This was one of his friends that he had referred to me. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a long silence after I said that. 
And he said, do you mind if I give you a little coaching? And I'm like probably 35 years old at the time. So of course I was open to it. And I said, yes, please. And he said, number one, it's a really good idea to thank people when they give you referrals. <laughs> and number two, it's a really good idea to update them and inform them of what happened with the people that you introduced. And I just felt like I had a capital L on my head. I felt like the, the biggest idiot, the biggest loser, because here was this vice president of Intel. Mm -hmm. That was not only a client, he was sending me business and the contacts he was sending me were top notch quality. Like these are the kind of people I wanted to attract and serve. And so I learned two very important lessons. Number one, you got to thank people that refer you business. We created a referral thank you card in my company so that anytime one of my loan officers got a new referral, they immediately sent a thank you card in the mail. But then number two, informing the people that you refer along the way. If somebody gave you a referral, follow up with them, let them know. So there's 10 different referral best practices and there's the science of knowing what to do and knowing when to do it and how to do it. And then there's the art of actually following through and creating that connection where the other person feels appreciated. Do you think managing those relationships and those referrals is more art or science? I think it's both. I don't know that there's one that's more important than the other. Like the science, I think, is actually doing the follow-up. I teach the fortune is in the follow-up and where most people fail is in follow-up failure. They don't follow up. They go into ghost mode. They're so focused on winning a new customer, they forget to follow up with their past clients that'll give them tons of referrals. So there's the science, again, of knowing what to do and how to do it. And then there's the artistry of actually being in the conversation and inspiring them through your language. Always an interesting combination. And, you know, I have a personal opinion that I think life and business is a little more art than science, but mm. it's always interesting to, to hear other perspectives. So really great note on that. But back to some of your story, you know, back in 1997, after you were able to kind of implement this technology, you know, again, way ahead of your time, uh, you were fortunate enough to increase your income over 10x in the span of 18 months. What was that like? It was amazing. I mean, I, again, I was making 20 grand when I got into the business. And so I had already bought a house, but I was I had bounced my mortgage payments. And within 18 months, as you mentioned, that 10x of my income, all of a sudden I'm making $200,000 a year. I'd never made that kind of money before. So it gave me freedom. It gave me confidence. It really just changed my inner being, right? And that's, I think, a challenge for some people is when you don't feel successful, then you're not vibrating at that level to attract success, right? If you're down in the dumps and, and feeling sorry for yourself, then it's, it's more challenging energetically to attract the kind of people that you're looking for in your life. So I think there's tremendous benefit of, of generating that kind of financial freedom and, and just time freedom as well. For sure. What do you, what did life feel like with more resources? Easier, better. I mean, you're going to, you're going out more restaurants, trips, vacations, uh, experiences. And so I was able to do experiences that I wasn't able to do before. So it, it's freedom. It's Thinking back. Good. Uh, yeah, sure. On that note, I'm actually I'm happy you brought that up. Kind of when you were able to be a little more financially free, were there any big purchases that you made that you, uh, you know, wouldn't have done before? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, bought a brand new BMW. So that was one that I hadn't done before. Um, 
that was mostly it, but trips and vacations and planning. And I, I used some of that funds to go start an anti-aging nutraceutical company. So I was investing some of the income I was earning over from the mortgage business into my company, Longevity Labs. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it just gives you more options overall. Got it. You know, on that note, to get to the age old question, as someone that's seen both sides, do you think, you know, having more resources made you happier or do you think you're just as, as happy as you were before? I've always been happy. In seventh grade, I was named the optimist of the year in my middle school. So I've just always been wired like this as long Ooh. as I can remember. But I tell you what, it definitely takes the pressure off. Got it. So do you think, you know, I've actually, I've asked this question a few times on the show and I know I have a personal theory on this. It seems like I have a bunch of personal theories for someone that's not a psychologist, but I think there's like real, a line of like really stressed and really happy. And in the middle, you just have kind of no pressure. You know, I think, you know, money beyond basic needs, I don't, you know, has like a diminishing return on happiness, but do you think it'll kind of close that gap to the point where it's not going to make you exponentially happier, but you know, it'll take the pressure off and make it easier to kind of do the things that make you happy. Yeah, And I think it's important to understand what your purpose and passion is, right? There's a lot of people that are living life by default instead of life by design, meaning they don't have a vision. They don't have a plan for me. I've got my goals written out. I've got a list of them right here on my desk and these are goals through the year 2050 of where I want to go, people I want to partner with, things I want to do and accomplish and experience. And so it's the clarity of your why and what really drives you that leads to that fulfillment and satisfaction. And if you don't have a purpose, then life feels a little empty in my experience. Yep, for sure. I can definitely agree on that. But speaking of that list that you just brought up, you know, what's the most important goal on that list? Uh, right now, I'm out to retire my wife. So the goal is to retire her by May 28th, 2024. She's going to she's gonna love hearing that line when she listens to the episode. So <laughs> right. I think getting that's a great goal out there. But awesome note on that. And I appreciate you sharing that goal list. Uh, back to some of the stuff that you were doing in your career, yeah. you know, over time. And I think this is, you know, a crazy astronomical number. But you've closed over half a billion dollars in transactions by referral. How did yeah. you do it? Uh, really being crystal clear on who it is that you want to serve and attract as a client and then understanding who are those people or companies that are already in relationship. They've already earned the trust of the people that you want to attract. That's what that's really the key to our whole raving referral system is when people are referred to you, they're 400 percent more likely to hire you. And in mm -hmm. B2B sales, 83% of B2B sales start with a referral. So referrals are just more profitable. They're easier. And what we teach is how to build referral partnerships. We teach the referral partner blueprint and really help people create solid referral partnerships, but then cross promote each other. And that's a, a huge gap because a lot of people meet people that they want to do business with, but they don't know how to create a plan of action that leads to more promotion and more business for each party. So that's really what we focus on solving. Right. That's an interesting statistic. I didn't know 80% of business stuff comes from referrals. So I appreciate the free education there. Uh, but, you know, speaking of that, and I don't know if you kind of just answered this, but just to get crystal clear on it, do you think more people get sales from, or more businesses get sales from prospects or kind of from referrals that they get? Well, so 97% of people say that they rely on referrals for their business. 
-hmm. When I've questioned, I've done surveys with thousands of business professionals and I ask all the time, what's your number one biggest source of business? 76% have said referrals. So that's been our data. That's their number one source of new clients. But of course, it varies by industry, but most people get some business, if not most of their business by referral. The challenge for most has been they really don't have a system to use. Mm -hmm. They don't have a, a way that they go about it. They're not automating the ask. We teach the art of the ask so people feel very comfortable when you ask them for referrals. But having a system in place, only 3% of businesses nationwide have a system for referrals. So that's the gap we're trying to solve. Got it. Interesting. And I'm happy you brought up the art of the ask. I'll definitely get into that a bit later. Uh, but say, for example, if you were working with you know a brand new business, a company that's just looking to take on clients, uh, would yeah. you suggest that they start with prospecting or start with trying to get referrals from you know people that know the founders or people that know the owners or something like that? Well, I think it's one and the same. I, I think referrals is your prospecting process, right? Mm -hmm. And you can certainly buy leads. You can, you know, do Facebook advertising. There's all kinds of different ways to attract new clients for your business. And different people feel comfortable in different tasks and different methodologies. What I've found works for me and, you know, doing over a half a billion dollars in transactions by referral, what's worked is partnering with others who are already serving your perfect prospects, finding out what are the challenges that their clients and customers come to them for that you can help solve. Because if you become the solution for other people's clients, now they're recommending you every time one of their client comes to them and says, hey, I've got this pain point. So you really want to package yourself as the solution. And we recommend that you create a gift certificate or some way that that professional or business owners can easily introduce you professionally and systematically. So that process works really, really well. Got it. And you're, you think that a lot of companies right now lack that sort of process, that kind of warm referral introduction. I know they do. Absolutely. Got it. Happy uh, we were able to align on that. But another note that I think that was really interesting that you brought up, uh, you spoke about taking out ads. So for example, a lot of companies use Instagram ads or Facebook ads to really try to advertise their products. From your experience, is the ROAS or for people that aren't as familiar with marketing kind of return on advertising spend uh, kind of much larger with referrals than it is with those other kind of ad networks? Well, yeah, because often in referrals, you're not actually spending any money. It's really your investment of time more than money when it comes to referrals, with the exception of, say, taking somebody out to lunch or to coffee. You may spend some money investing in building a relationship. You might go to a sports game or a concert with one of your referral partners just to do something fun and really create a friendship so that you're doing life with people that you're friends with that have the ability to send you a lot of business. So, you know, in terms of ROAS, it's tough to compare. Mm -hmm. However, I will tell you referrals are 16% more profitable overall because somebody mm -hmm. that clicks on your link online, they don't have that trust with you. Somebody mm -hmm. hasn't said, Daniel, you got to meet Brandon. He's this and that and the other thing, right? But when you know someone who gives that personal recommendation, then you are much more likely to trust me coming in or the professional and you're going to spend more money with them. You're going to spend more money. Typically, you're going to stay with them longer as a client. You're going to refer more clients to them. So there's a huge cascade of impact that goes beyond just simple ROAS. 
Got it. Interesting. You know, as, as a new business owner, definitely has some good advice I'm getting here. And I'm sure a lot of great advice that all the listeners will be able to take away from. So I appreciate you speaking to that experience. And on a more practical note, if you get to, if you invest some time taking out prospects or friends to a game, you're also getting uh, some life enjoyment out of that as well. So I felt Absolutely. I need to, to add that too. But uh, on another note, you know, one of the things that you also mentioned a lot in your work is something called the bank sales methodology. So what mm -hmm. is the bank sales methodology? Yeah, so bank is a personality system and bank is an acronym that stands for blueprint, action, nurturing and knowledge. And so basically everyone has these four different personality styles, kind of like DISC or, or other systems. We use these cards. If you're in a personal event, I'll hand, I'll say, do you want to see a magic trick? 100% of people say yes. I'll hand the cards to them and say, do me a favor, read the information on the cards, sort them in order of what's most like you to least like you. That will help me serve you better and save you both time or save us both time. And I did this about a month ago. I was at a, a tech uh, conference and and I was talking to one of the guests afterwards, the attendees, and I said, you know what's so cool about the system is that in three minutes time, I'll meet somebody brand new. They'll give they'll tell me who they are. And after three minutes, they'll sit there and think he gets me. Well, mm -hmm. right at that moment, one of the speakers that had been on the panel came up and she said, Hey, I like magic tricks. And so I handed her the cards and said, do me a favor and sort these. And it took her 30 seconds to put the cards in the right order for her. She hands them back to me. I took 60 seconds to just describe who she had just told me she is. And in 90 seconds, I had built rapport faster than anything else. She turns to the guy that I was just talking to and she says to him, he gets me literally word for word. So in 90 seconds, I was able to understand the type of person that she is, what she values, how she makes buying decisions. And through that, you can actually close more sales in less time because when you understand what your prospects appreciate and value, then you can give that to them quickly and your, your closing rate goes up by up to 400%. Got it. I really like how, you know, you led with a more informal way when, you know, I think a lot of people, I don't even want to call it a trend as much anymore. I think a lot of people know that the old way of sales really doesn't work anymore. You have to really try to strive to understand your customer before you kind of throw a product in their face. And I like how you kind of led with, you know, you want to see a magic trick and you try to really understand them. And really that's how the network grew. So really interesting note on there. And I think a really cool acronym uh, to get to another page, you know, a lot of speaking of uh, trailblazing, Another thing that you were the founder of was, or kind of one of the initial founders was Codebreaker Technologies, and you helped build Codebreaker AI. You know, two questions on there. One, how were you so ahead of your time with AI? I mean, now, you know, we, we see AI every day. There's like yeah. startups and tons of funding. That could be a whole other podcast episode in itself. But how did you get the idea to work with AI or work in AI? And where did you get the idea for Codebreaker AI? Yeah, so Codebreaker Technologies was taking this card system and actually building an AI that on LinkedIn with one click would analyze somebody's personality and tell you who they are. Uh, so that's what we did. And, and it also helps to analyze copy. Like if you're going to run an ad or send out an email, you can run it through Codebreaker AI to make sure that your language is a mm -hmm. match for the person that's receiving your communication. Um, but we did that back in 2019, and you're right, long before ChatGPT. Back then, it wasn't so easy to spin up an AI. 
But it was really about how do we take this? Because I, I learned this system when I was hosting a conference and somebody came up after I came off stage and said, do me a favor. And they did exactly what I just described. And I looked at that and went, wow, that's brilliant. It's instant empathy. Within just a minute or two, I understand the person who's in front of me. So we said, how do we take that out and help millions of people with it? And that's what led to Codebreaker Technologies. Got it. Really interesting, especially considering the fact that 2019 was only five years ago, but it uh, seems like centuries ago with all the advancements in AI. So kudos to you guys for getting on top of that. Uh, on another note, we've spoken a lot about prospecting and getting clients and the differences between referrals and advertising. From your experience, what do you think the biggest mistake is business owners make when prospecting? Well, I think they undervalue their past clients and customers. Um, we teach, we mentioned earlier, the fixing follow-up failure, right? So we're always teaching people the fortunes in the follow-up. And we work with mostly at HOA.com professionals who serve homeowners. And that includes both white collar and blue collar. Now, the white collar pros are your realtors, mortgage lenders, insurance agents, financials, attorneys, accountants. Those people are usually pretty good on their follow-up because they're sitting at a desk most of the day, with the exception maybe of the realtors, but they're sitting there in front of their computer, they're organized. Now, on the other hand, we've got blue-collar folks, painters, plumbers, electrician, and what we say is they typically go in ghost mode. They'll come mm -hmm. serve your home and you never hear from them again. So mm -hmm. that's one of the ways that we help people really understand their lifetime client value. It's not mm -hmm. about the transaction, it's about the relationship. So you might have multiple transactions over time with that client if you really serve them well. And if you integrate the ask and the art of the ask into the process, then you get a lot of business from the past people that you've delighted with your service. Got it. You know, back to the idea that you just mentioned, what is the art of the ask and how do you, how can people yeah. use it to get more clients? Yeah. A lot of people feel uncomfortable asking for referrals. So we teach them a way that's simple, easy, and everybody feels comfortable. So it's three steps. Number one, you want to set the stage. Number two, you're going to listen for the referral triggers. And then number three, you're going to ASK to GET. So mm -hmm. let me unpack those for you. The first one is really almost the most important, and it's setting the stage. And what that means is when you first are onboarding a client or maybe they've just agreed to work with you, before you let them out of your office, the door, or on Zoom, just say to them, hey, before, you, I, before I let you go, can I ask you for a quick favor? Now, everybody's going to say either yes or maybe tell me more, right? And then what you want to do is just explain to them that you get most of your business by referral and that you love helping people like them get this kind of a result. And you got to describe, save money, make money, feel better, be sexier, whatever your result of your service is. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what I'd like to ask is once we've proven ourselves to you and you're thrilled and overjoyed with what we deliver, would it be okay to ask you for a referral later on? Now, what you're basically doing is you're setting the stage, you're seeding the conversation. Sometimes you're going to get referrals right there because you've essentially asked, even though really what you're saying is, we're going to wow you with our service. 
Okay, mm -hmm. but that's the step one, setting the stage. Now you want to listen for the referral triggers. And that sounds something like, Daniel, oh, wow, man, this is so amazing. This is awesome. You did a great job. I'm thrilled. I'm happy, whatever that looks like. You basically want to create wow moments for your clients. And when you hear them say wow or thank you or some sort of appreciation, that's when it's time to ASK to GET. But mm -hmm. if you set the stage, you're just telling them, I'm going to take great care of you. Then you listen for the referral triggers. And when they say, wow, then you ask them for referrals because they're at that peak state. You've now mm -hmm. delivered the result. And you can say, I'm looking to help more families like you, more business owners like you, whatever that ideal perfect prospect is for you. And then I want to help them get the same result that you did. So make it about them, not about you. You're not asking them to help you so much as you're asking them to help other people that they care about. It's a really interesting note because you have in the beginning of when you're trying to first, you know, get a client instead of typically people focus on the client, then, you know, performing the service, then maybe asking the referral. But what I like about your idea is the sense that, you know, once you have a client, you set the stage for, for later, obviously assuming stellar client service, you know, but you're planting the seed of like, you're going to be going to have a great service. You know, you achieve that service, then you get the referral. So I think a really innovative way of looking at that. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I definitely think that's something that a lot of businesses can, can learn from, but a topic that we've been discussing a lot is kind of marketing and how you're able to get a lot of clients. And we've talked about ads and talked about referrals. Uh, an idea that you think is interesting or that I've read about you discuss is influencer marketing. So what do you think yeah. is the future of influencer marketing or do you think that's here to stay or, or here to leave? Oh, there's no question it's here to stay. It's just going to keep growing and growing. And now we're in a tribalism era, I believe. And so everybody is looking to build their tribe and to feel like they're a part of something again. I think after this whole you know, COVID situation that people want to belong to something again. They want to feel connected and they want to feel a part of it. And that's that happens sometimes with influencers. Some of the people we follow, we do out of curiosity and others we follow out of loyalty. And if you build your business to create a community of people that are passionate and advocates, then that's really where you get alignment. Again, we, it goes back to why. And if you can align influencers wise with your why and come together, now you've got somebody that has a microphone or a social platform influencing thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And that is definitely here to stay. You know, it's an interesting note. On that note, you know, I think influencers have in the past gotten a bad rep for a number of reasons. And, you know, I'm not going to get into all that, all that uh, into here. Um, but when someone's trying to partner with an influencer or partner with an industry leader, what steps can they take to make sure that this is the kind of person that they want to partner with or have their brand aligned with? Well, the good news is you can do a lot of research and you've got to make sure that your values are aligned first and foremost, right? If you have uh, political opinions on one side, you don't want yeah. to align with somebody on the opposite side. Um, I stay centrist because, you know, quite frankly, I'm here to impact every person on the planet. And that's regardless of what they believe spiritually, religious wise. But I think it's important to understand and make sure that your values are aligned, that mm -hmm. they represent the kind of image that you want to propel about your company. And, and again, it depends on how big we're talking here, right? For somebody mm -hmm. that is a local business owner in a, and they serve in the local area, an influencer might be somebody that is a, a news person 
in your local area, right? Or uh, it could be a soccer mom. Anybody that's got a following that's going to vibe with exactly what you're presenting. We say your vibe attracts your tribe. Vibe attracts your tribe. I think that's a beautiful quote. I'm definitely going to steal that one. So appreciate you sharing that. Uh, on another note, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about is how to get more clients. Do you think there's a way to get clients without spending money on leads? Yeah, well, referrals are usually free. I mean, that's typically what happens. Now, we have an affiliate program in addition to, so we reward some people that refer business to us and they earn a percentage of the lifetime revenue. But yeah, you can get referrals for free all the time. In fact, we've done studies in the past to determine if people would rather get paid or not get paid, and it's about 50-50. Right. So half of, of the people in my experience that we've worked with for over the last 25 years have been comfortable receiving compensation when they introduce someone to a product or service. And the other half of people don't want that at all. So we recommend, depending on your industry and regulations, you consider a referral rewards program. And that's an affiliate plan where you actually offer to pay people if they send you business, because now you've got incentivized scouts out there looking for business. Mm -hmm. But for the people that don't want to get paid, we simply offer to make a donation in their name. Now, that's our business model. We've got in our model a percentage of revenue we're sharing with the community that's helping us build that community. Some people would rather not pay anything and just have it all for free. And you can do that too. So it's really up to you a personal preference. We found the best way to motivate is to compensate. Sure. And so as you incentivize people with either cash or, or even swag, something that rewards them for sending you business, now it's on their radar. Got it. Really interesting note on there. And I love how you're having a lot of these rhyming phrases. Definitely a lot of things people can remember and steal from, but Really awesome note on there. To move more to a personal note, you know, you've described a lot of your career and a lot of the, you know, down points and high points and a lot of the successes that you've had, especially in the referral business. On a personal note, what do you think has been the biggest mistake in your career? Mm, trying to do too much. Um, even now at HOA.com, we have so many different initiatives going at the same time that I've had to just simplify to the team and reiterate what our top three is. And there's things that we're building for the future, like we have a whole property management a business unit that we're building out, but that's Q2, right? So as we mm -hmm. sit here in Q1 of 2024, I've got to keep the team focused on what we're doing in January as we record this, what's coming up in February while still building out what's coming in September. You know, I think that's a really awesome way to attack things, especially considering that a lot of times you have to break things down in digestible bites to really take on tasks. But that being said, a lot of companies or a lot of executives have a lot of trouble simplifying. So two things. One, why do you think people have trouble simplifying? And two, how would you advise them to try to you know, simplify their, their processes or their tasks? Yeah, good question. I have a challenge because I can see what it all looks like working. I'm visionary, right? So for me, I know what the picture is in my mind of what we're building. Now, everything doesn't flow. It doesn't work as well. And things take longer. Uh, technology always takes longer. This is my 10th tech platform that I built over the last 27 years. So, you know, I speak from experience on that perspective. But as far as simplifying, it's really prioritizing. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got to take a look and do an inventory. If there's 10 things that you're wanting to accomplish, if you could only do one, what would it be? Mm -hmm. I teach something called win. 
what's important now or what's important next? And this was taught to me by a business coach almost 20 years ago. He said, as you go through your days and you complete a task, identify what is now the most sing single important task that's going to move your business furthest and fastest. Right. So throughout your day, you're looking at your list and you start off with your 10, 20 things that you want to do in that day, but prioritize and do the most important thing first, even if it takes longer. And, and so simplifying down starts with prioritization and saying, what's really important? And are there some things that we should take off the list? It's doing now, not doing now and never doing. And sometimes putting things in the never doing just takes them energetically off your back. Even if you park it someplace for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days and in the future you go, you know what, we are doing that now. So that's a few things that have helped me over my career. So in summary, to be kind of decisive and to prioritize and definitely easier said than done because we're only human. And a lot of times it's tough to think, you know, what's the most important thing. But I think the best objective advice you can give, because I think anytime when you're a business owner or you see all of 18 different moving parts, you're always going to have you know trouble trying to figure out. But I think it's better to be decisive and incorrect than to be correct, but take 18 years to make a decision. So I think really great advice on there. Yep. Yeah, it was interesting. I was recently speaking to a, a group of dentists down in Dallas, Texas. I did a seven hour training for them on our raving referral system. And I had this one slide with a hundred different things that dental practice owners have to focus on and, and do. And out of those top 100 things, like all the things that they had to do to run their practice, including the marketing, the operations, supplies, staffing, technology, all the stuff, right? That as a business owner, you have to be responsible for. And then I showed them the next slide where only the top 10 that were actually clinically providing their service, only 10% was doing dentistry. The rest was managing their business. Yet these are dentists, not MBAs. And so, you know, I think you've got to really focus on what you do best. And if you've got an area of weakness, look to hire somebody or attract them onto your team that can be strong where you're weak. God, I think that's awesome advice. And I appreciate you sharing that. Now, to get to the opposite side of the spectrum, what do you think has been the highlight of your career? Mm, the impact. That's what's the most fulfilling to me is, you know, we did the largest uh, feeding down in L.A. for with Shaquille O'Neal and uh, Larry Jones of Feed the Children. That was incredible. We did the largest teacher training over in the country of Liberia. We had the president of Liberia come out as we taught these school teachers how to really empower their children and engage them in a way that casts a positive future for their lives. So those are the things I remember the most. Those are the most rewarding. And uh, I think it's always about how we feel, not what we think. So mm -hmm. the things in your life that have created the most emotion is typically what we remember most. Uh, for sure. I can definitely agree with you on that point. And awesome that I got a chance to give back and work with some of those individuals. But uh, to move on to a few parting notes here, you know, you've had a really long and successful career and I'm sure we'll continue to do great things. Uh, but if you could go back and give your 21 year old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Mm. Always tough, right? Knowing what you know now, what would you go do? I think for me, I would have stayed in the mortgage. I would have gotten out of the mortgage business, but yet stayed in it to keep that revenue flowing. Um, so right then at that step in, or that stage in my life, I had kind of completed what I wanted to. 
And I'd wished I'd have kept that revenue stream going for longer. Got it. Interesting. I think it's one of those things that we're like, oh, we wish we know that now, but we only know that because of our experience. So the best we can do is pass it on to the next generation. But as a last question here, you know, looking back at your life after everything you've accomplished, what do you hope your lasting impact will be? Well, inspiring people to create more impact. I often ask people if you had to choose between income, influence, or impact, what's most important to you? And most people are focused on the income, and that's that's just real. And once you get past that, and that's not your driver anymore, you realize that what you find most fulfilling is the difference that you make in others. So. I'm here to uplift, inspire, and transform every person on the planet. That's my mission. That's why I'm on your show here is to just spread the word. And that's what I hope I'm reminded or remembered for as somebody that inspired people into action because you can be excited, but unless you take action, your life's going to stay the same. I think that's a beautiful note, Brandon. And as you mentioned, really appreciate taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Brandon Barnum. If you enjoyed the episode, rate the show on Spotify, drop a comment on YouTube, and subscribe.